It's a pleasure to be here with you today. God is good. Amen. Amen. He is so good. And the word I have for you today is entitled principle based living. Principle based living. This is something I've been uh, meditating on, hovering over for a while now, and I just felt like this is the time for me to preach it. In 1 Corinthians 14 to 20, 14, 20, Pastor Christian has been referencing this verse as well as Colossians 1, 28 a lot. And it says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Colossians 1, 28 says, him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You know, the goal as your pastor and the goal of, of Christianity and Christian leaders for your life is not just for you to come to church, say hey to a couple people, sing a couple songs, read your Bible every once in a while. No, the goal is maturity. That we may present everyone Mature in Christ. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. How many people do we know that think like kids? Mm. You're thinking of somebody else right now, right? <laughs> but no, in your thinking, be mature. I mean, our goal as pastors here at New Philly is to present you mature in Christ. And one of the characteristics of someone who is mature is that they live lives not always driven by rules, but eventually learning how to live lives that are driven by principles. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a message called Crystal Clear Reception, right? And I talked about how I used to have a Samsung Galaxy, and now I have an iPhone 6, hallelujah. <laughs> and that iPhone 6, I can hear so clearly. The call never drops. Everything's just, hello, hello. It's like, it doesn't even ring anymore. It's so quick. And I was talking about how for many of us, our Christian lives in terms of hearing the voice of the Lord is like we're like my Samsung Galaxy. Like you try to make a, you feel like you got one moment where you can hear from God. And then the next thing you know, the call drops out. God, are you here? Are you there? Are you there? God, are you there? But God wants us to be able to have crystal clear reception. And so I talked about one of the ways that we hear the voice of the Lord. And that was through his word. And one thing that I preached on and talked about was something that God really put on my heart to continue to expand upon. And that is that that the Bible is much more than a set of rules, but that the Bible starts off giving us certain rules by which we should live by. Right. The Ten Commandments. Right. Do don't do this. Don't do this. Don't you covet. Don't you lie. Don't covet your neighbor's donkey. Don't like. None of y'all think that was weird. Don't covet your neighbor's donkey. Don't do this. Don't murder. Don't kill. Like, don't do, don't steal. Don't do these different things. Don't do this. Don't do this. And many of us, we think that the Christian life is all about that kind of life. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. Do this. But that is how, that is what happens whenever you are an infant in Christ. Whenever you are new in your faith, God's got to give you a whole lot of do, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Right? Because even with children, Right. When children are babies, you know, especially once they learn how to walk, you know, Pastor Pastor John Newfeld, who's our worship pastor and the executive director of worship. He has this cute baby daughter named Olivia and Olivia is so adorable. She's half Mennonite and half Korean. Right. But her her mom's last name is Jew. So we say she's half Mennonite, half Jew. <laughs> she's so cute and she loves me like it's weird. It's actually really weird how much she loves me. Like whenever I walk into the room, she'll just like, she'll be crying and also she'll see me and she'll smile. And everyone's like, 
everyone was like, you know, it's got to be because he's black. And I was like, <laughs> no, that's not. No, she can make out shapes now. She knows my face, you know. And so it was really funny. We had this guy by the name of Tony Beckham. He's a uh, African-American professor. He was a professor here in in Korea. Now he lives in Irvine, California. And he came and visited. And it was so funny because he she was holding he was holding Olivia. And Olivia's like looking at him and she's smiling and she's like, he's like, oh, she likes me. She likes me. And then I think I laughed or I said something and she turned, right? And she looked at me and then you could tell she focused in and she was like, oh, snap, that's, that's Marcus. <laughs> and then she went like this and she's like, hey! <laughs> yes, yes. It's because she likes this right here. But anyway, that's not my point. The thing about Olivia is, is that she puts everything in her mouth, you know, like babies, they will put their finger in everything, everything in their mouth. And so when a parent talks to their child, they're not giving them principles, right? You know, they're telling, don't do this. Don't do that. You better stop that. Like my mom used to tell me that, you better stop that boy. You better stop. And then somehow she would like magically make it to wherever I was to make me stop, you know? And so whenever you're young, it starts off with rules. Right. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. But once you get to a certain age, you know, when your parents keep giving you rules, you just, you know, I don't even want to hear this anymore. Why do they keep giving me rules? No. Once you get a certain age, you internalize those rules in your heart. So then if you are a good son or daughter, you don't need your parents to keep telling you, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Because the rules that they've established in your life early on begin to put internal constraints in your heart and begin, you begin to understand the principles under them so that you can take those principles and live by them when you're older. If you're in your twenties and your parents are still having to tell you, don't do this, don't do that. Don't do this. You're living in immaturity. See, maturity comes when we learn how to live by principles and not so much by rules. Because principles is what you'll give to your children, not rules. Some of y'all are thinking children. I don't want to think about children. Children. No, you need to start thinking about children. You need to start thinking about your legacy. So many of us in our generation, we don't think about our legacy. And that's why we pass down bad legacies. Principle-based living. And so if we want to live the kind of life that God intends for us, if we want to come into maturity, it doesn't come from age because you can meet people who are really old and still they need that do not do this. Do, do, do. It doesn't come by education, but it comes from God himself teaching us and maturing us how and how to live a principle driven life. You know, there's this quote by a former mentor, Pastor Christians. He said that God is more concerned with the person you're becoming than what you can do for him. Because God cares about your character. In fact, your calling in life is not so much that you go out and do something, but it's that you become someone. God is more concerned with the kind of person you're becoming in life than what you can do for Theodore Roosevelt, who's one of the presidents of the United States, he said this to educate a man in the mind and not in the morals, talking about principles, is to educate a menace to society. 
You can have all, you can have the driven, like I, I have a purpose driven life. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go do this and do this and do this. You can have this very clear vision for what you're supposed to do. But if you don't learn how to live by principles, you'll get to that place and you won't be a help to anyone. You will hurt a lot of people. So it's important for us to learn how to live a principle value based life because a person with character is the kind of person that will have a good impact. You don't believe me. Just go. You can go down the laundry list of people that you read in the news, high profile individuals who get all this fame and fortune. But then because they don't have character and because they don't have internal principles, it just they just squander it all. And so God wants for us to understand this. And, and here in our church, this is the year of wisdom, right? And learning how to live a life driven by your principles and values is a life of wisdom. So I want us to look at a passage of scripture where we see someone living in accordance to principles. And I think there's going to be a lot that we're going to draw to this today. I promise if you are listening and taking these words to heart, I really believe God's going to use it to change many of your lives. Turn to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look from verses 1 to 11. It's one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. You can turn there, scroll there. If you don't have a Bible, just lean next to the person next to you. Introduce yourself first and ask, can I look along? Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus, everyone say Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. I I just wanted you to say it. Uh, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Of course, I, I fast two days and I'm hungry. 40 days and he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Jesus, answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, persistent, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I love this passage of scripture because it shows us so much about what even our lives look like. Jesus, the context of this passage is that Jesus has just gotten baptized in the Jordan River. The heavens have opened. The Father has spoken down over him. This is my beloved son in whom I will please. The Holy Spirit came on him like a dove down upon him. Right? 
we see that happening. And we see that right after that, Jesus is in this situation. And, and I'm always astounded by this. I'm always astounded that Jesus is in this situation alone in the wilderness, being tempted and having a conversation with Satan. Because there's so much in this. And so I want to, I'm going to draw out two main things about principle based living that we need to recognize. And the first is this. We need to accept the fact that temptations and trials in our life will come. We need to accept the fact that temptations and trials will come. Matthew 4, 1 to 3 says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit are called sons of God. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Think about that. That meant that if he, he was following the will of God for his life and it ended up in temptation. You need to accept the fact that in your life as a Christian, you will experience temptation. And I know for some of you, you're like, I've heard this before. I know this. But the, the thing is, is that what happens because we haven't accepted this fact is that when we're tempted, we have nervous breakdowns. I'm being so tempted. What? I never expected that to come. I never expected to have that thought. I never expected that to hit me like that. No. But if Jesus himself will be tempted by the devil, what makes you any different? And so we need to accept the fact that temptation and trial will come in our life. If God will allow for Jesus, God the Father will allow for Jesus to be tempted. You've got to recognize that God the Father will also allow for you to be tempted. He will allow for you to be tested in life. Especially in the West, a lot of Christians have this mindset that my Christian walk is meant to be easy. And you can always tell by who has this mindset when they go through trials. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this. I can't believe I'm going through this. I can't believe what? When Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. Jesus said it. And so we got to accept the fact that temptations and trials and testings will come. James 1, 2 to 3. I love what James says. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. If you face trials of many kind. No, no. When you face trial. He says, consider it joy when you face trial. Because check it out. You're going to be in some tough situations. You're going to have some times where your character is tested. You're going to have some times where people and situations are not going to be to your advantage. But count it joy if you have trials. No, when you have trials. Job, right? The story of Job is like the textbook in trials. Like Job didn't do anything wrong. Job was like the man. Like, you know, he had all the livestock. He had the wife and the children. He's doing well. But God allows for Job to be tried. And what does that trial look like and temptation look like? It looked like Job losing everything. Hold on. What? That's crazy. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that's crazy. That's the magnitude of a trial sometimes. But listen to what Job says in Job 23.10. He says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. 
You know, in this passage, it's so interesting that Jesus is being tried in the wilderness. But if you pull it out into the larger context, what happens is that Jesus, he goes to where John the Baptist is in the He's out there in the middle of nowhere, right? Baptizing people in the Jordan River. And then John the Baptist sees Jesus coming from afar. And he's like in other books. He says, behold. The Lamb of God. Here he comes. Right? From far away. Here comes Jesus, you know. I don't know. In my mind, Jesus has theme music. (laughs) Growing up, I watched a lot of professional wrestling. So whenever someone important came in, you could recognize it by the theme music, you know, but anyway, sorry. So he publicly declares that this is Jesus, that Jesus is the one who baptizes in fire. He publicly declares who he is. He baptizes him in the Jordan River. The heavens open. God speaks. And it's not Jesus who's recording this. Jesus is being baptized. Other people are recording it, meaning that other people are hearing what God the Father is saying. So there's this huge public proclamation. But immediately after, he's brought into the wilderness alone to be tried. And so what you need to understand is that temptations and trials will always come to test privately what God has declared publicly. That when temptation and trial come in your life, they're not always, they're not going to come in the public place. But it's oftentimes in the secret place. It's often where no one's watching. It's oftentimes in the wilderness. And so you've got to recognize, and God will allow these things to happen. Why? Because God wants the private person and the public person to be the same person. Notice Satan didn't come tempt him publicly. It wasn't like, you know, God spoke, and then all of a sudden Satan was up in there like, what's going on, Jesus? No, it was private. See, God will want to shape your character by allowing trials and temptations to come in the private place because he's wanting you to be the same person in public that you are in private. He's wanting those two things to match up. And so we see this happen, right? And what I want to say is that God allows temptation. He does not tempt. So it says in James that when you're being tempted, you cannot say God is tempting me because God is light. In him's no darkness. He does not change like shifting shadows. He is not the one who is going to tempt you. But Satan will. Because where God wants to refine your character, Satan wants to try to expose you to be a fraud. He wants to see Satan wanted Jesus to make these kind of proclamations and things in secret. And then in public, he can be the same thing. He can be Jesus. He can do all that. Because he knows that if those two things don't match up. It doesn't matter. Helen Keller said this. She said, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. 
Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition-inspired, and success achieved. See, we need to face this fact from the beginning, because if not, we won't understand the Lord's ways. And then we'll actually fall into Satan's deception to believe the wrong things about God's character and even about ourselves. And so we won't know how to prepare ourselves to succeed and pass these tests, temptations, and trials. So we accept the fact that temptations and trials come, right? But then how does Jesus do it? Like, I mean, I know that in him's no sin, but he, he emptied himself of his godliness when he came down as a man. He took on the form of a servant. So he's weak. He's fasting here. And let's look at, let's look at verses three to ten again. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He said Jesus was hungry. And he's the miracle worker, you know, God, he could do it. That kind of sounds reasonable, actually, you know, like he finished his 40 day fast. Why don't you just break a little bread? But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, right? And Jesus responds to him again, be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. How did Jesus know to respond in this way? You know, as I read this passage with new eyes, one thing that sticks out to me that I've never seen before is that Jesus never considered what Satan had to say. You notice that? He never re even considered what he had to say. It's different than in Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent comes to tempt Eve. It says that Eve, she looked at the tree. She saw that the tree was good. It was, it was pleasing to the eye. It was, it was good for wisdom. She considered it. But Jesus doesn't. He immediately responds with the word of God. And why does he do this? It's only because Jesus decided in advance how he would respond in the midst of trial. See, the first thing is that you have to accept that trials and tribulations will come. But the second thing, if you want to live a principle-based life, is that you need to decide beforehand how you will respond in the midst of temptation. So many of us try to make a decision in the midst of temptation as we're being tempted. And that's when we fail. That's when we fall. We find ourselves in a tempting situation or when the enemy comes with temptation or when we're tested. That's when we're trying to decide what to do. Or even on a positive note, when God tests our motivations by giving us multiple options. You can take this door, you can take this door, or you can take this door. We find ourselves confused because we've not learned how to decide what to do in advance. And that's why we don't pass the test. And here's something, you know, in, in college, I'll be honest with you guys, I didn't pass a lot of tests in school. At UNC, I, was, I partied a lot. I didn't study. 
But as I was thinking about tests and trials today, you know what I realized? I realized that you never pass a test that you don't intentionally prepare in advance to solve. You don't, you never consistently pass a test that you don't prepare in advance to take, do you? How many of us got through college and got through school just saying, well, you know, you got a test tomorrow. Oh, it's cool. I'll just do it. I'll just do it when it comes. Oh, you know, you got a test tomorrow. Oh, no, it's cool. No, no, you, you can't. You don't pass a test that you don't prepare in advance to solve. You know, Joshua, I love in Joshua 24, 14 to 15. Check this out. This is Joshua speaking at the end of his life, and he's speaking to the people of Israel. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods in the Amorites in the land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. For many of us, it's choose each day whom we will serve. We get up in the morning and we're trying to decide that day if we're going to do right by God. We're trying to decide that day if we're going to live honestly. We're trying to decide that day if we're going to live a principled life. But in, we see in this passage, Joshua says in advance, choose today who you will serve tomorrow. Choose today how you will live later on. Set today your principles. Set today your values. Set today who you are. Choose today whom you will serve. See, that's living a principled life. That's living a principled life that you make a choice today. And then when temptation comes tomorrow, you ain't really got to make a choice because you've already chosen. If you make a choice that living pure is your principle today, later on, when you're tempted to look at that, you ain't got to make a choice because you've already made it. But see, for so many of us, we don't want to make a choice now. And so then later on, we're like, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? But by then, the temptation's too strong. And so we've got to learn how to choose today what we will do tomorrow. Are you hearing me today, church? This is important. This will change your life. See, our generation is that postmodern, we'll take it as it goes kind of generation. And that's why we also are the people who continue to give up our values. We, we don't have any values. And so we don't stand for anything. But God wants you to live a life of principle. And so three ways we position ourselves. These are three sub points under that that I want us to know. I'm going to get real practical. The first three ways we position ourselves to do that, to live a principled life or to decide beforehand what we are going to do tomorrow. The first is to know and study the word of God. This was this was my point two weeks ago. Is that important? You know, we got Jesus in in this passage in, in chapter four. He responds to Satan's temptations with his own ideas. Like, you know, make these stones 
into bread. And Jesus is like, well, you know, Satan, that sounds like a really great idea. And, you know, no, no, he doesn't. He already has in advance what he's going to say. And here's why, because he knows and studied the word of God. Jesus studied the word of God. Do you know that? He is the word, but he, as a child growing up, studied the word. In Luke 2, 46 to 47, it's one of my favorite passages as well. It's where Mary and Joseph forget Jesus. Right? They, they leave him. And so after three days, right? They lose him for three days. <laughs> like if that would happen anytime, like, yeah, they would be in jail or something like three days. Three days, they find him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. That meant that Jesus wasn't just listening to the sermon. That meant that Jesus wasn't just listening to the word of God, but he was asking questions. He was processing it. He was trying to understand it. You know, oftentimes you can tell how deep you're going in something, not by the answers you give, but by the questions you ask. When I was in campus ministry, I discipled this one brother. Whew. And he, he, he grew up in the church. I think he was a PK. He knew all the right answers. So every time we did the Bible studies, right? He's like, so what did Jesus say here? Or what did Jesus do here? Or what is the answer to this question? He's like, it's the love of God. It's Jesus' grace. It's who he and like, and he's giving me all these dry religious answers. I'm like, you gave me the same answer last week. And after a while, I realized that it was different because he would give me all these sounded great answers. But then there was this other sister that was inside me as well. And she would always come in, not with answers, but with questions. And she was growing exponentially, not because she knew all the answers, but because she was willing to ask the right questions. See, when you get in the word of God, it's not about trying to ask and get all the right answers. You got to come in with some questions. When you study the word of God, you got to have questions. The depth of your questions will decide the depth of your answers. Not only that, but Jesus, he heard the word of God and he internalized it. Matthew three seventeen, when when God speaks to him, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Satan tempts him in that very area, but Jesus had already knew it. It already was in him. He understood. Even when his parents came when he was 12 years old, and they're like, what are you doing here? And he said, don't you? I'm afraid to say it because I feel like my mom's going to jump in. He's like, woman, don't you know I'm supposed to be in my father's house? That meant that Jesus had an understanding at 12 years old that he was his son. And that came... Not just from his identity of being born into the world as son of God, but also because he constantly understood, knew, and internalized the word of God. The second thing you got to do, you can't just know and study it, but you have to allow the word of God to shape your principles and your values. So there's a question I want to ask you today. What do you value? Many of us want to grow in character and integrity, but character and integrity is about living a life that is congruent to a certain standard. So what exactly is your standards? If you want to be a person of principles, what exactly are your principles? You ever thought about that? 
At New Philly, we have core values that define our community. But what about you as an individual? What are your personal core values? Have you ever thought about that? Like this is who defines. This is what defines who I am. What do you value? See, have you articulated... I'm not just simply talking about obeying the Bible, but how does the word get applied to your life? How does it instruct your values? Have you articulated the values that define your behavior, attitudes, and lifestyles? David said in Psalm 19.11, I've hidden the word in my heart that I may not sin against him. Meaning that he took the word and he internalized it. It shaped him. It started to influence him. And that's what helped him to live a life free of sin. Now, David made some mistakes. I mean, Bathsheba, but still. All of us want to grow in character, but the reason why many of us do not is because we've not learned how to articulate strong values that we can stand upon in the midst of testing and trial. We've not internalized what we profess. There's a pastor in the States who says it like this, that many people profess faith, but they don't possess faith. Meaning it's not started to influence the way that they live. Let's look at Jesus in this passage. Jesus didn't just know the word, right? He, he is the word. He, not, he personified it. He internalized it. He identified himself with it, which meant that in the wilderness, when he was being tempted, he could not obey Satan without denying himself. Meaning that when Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan was saying, if you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, do this. Because Jesus understood who he was, because what Jesus valued, because who he was was so strong in his mind and heart. Jesus was saying, I can't obey Satan without denying who I am as a person. And that's how people are with strong character. Have you ever been around someone who's like, man, their character, their integrity is so crazy? In the midst of temptation, a lot of times the reason why they don't go and do that is not so much because the Bible says don't do this, don't do that, but because they're saying, I won't even go there. Because if I do that, that's not only disobeying God, it's denying who I am. It's denying who I am as a person. It's denying who God's made me to be and the values that he's put upon my life. See, God wants you to be that kind of person. That's the kind of person that God wants you to be. That your values are so articulated that and so ingrained that you don't do anything with, you won't, you will never do anything that forces you to go against your own design. So people was, I was talking to Pastor John Newfield. He's someone I consider to be a man of strong character. And I was like, why are you the way that you are? That's why I asked him, right? Because Pastor John is like, he, he's just a man of strong character. He just, certain things he will not do. He will not lower himself to that standard. And I, I sat him down and I was like, John, I'm going to ask you this question. I know we're, we're like best friends, but uh, I just said that publicly. Wow, that was weird. Uh, but John, how, why do you have the character that you have? And then John began to articulate to me his values. 
things that have been passed down to him from his parents, things that God has taught him over the course of his life. And he won't, he won't do anything that will encroach upon those values because that would be an affront to who he is as a human being. So you've got to allow the word, but the word has to be your foundation. The word has to be what influences it. Most of us, because we've not allowed the word to do that, what influences us is the world. And without knowing it, our values are actually the world's values rather than the values that we can find in Scripture. So you've got to intentionally develop and articulate personal values and principles to live by. Have you ever sat down and wrote down what you believe? As I was preparing this message, I realized that I had not. And so I sat down and did it. And it was crazy. It began to solidify me in, in who I am as a person. Have you ever sat down and thought about that? Have you ever sat down and articulated what you value? If not, what governs what you do? What you think? What you allow into your life? Who you align yourself with? How do you make that decision? Think about it. Like, how do you decide whether or not you're going to associate yourself with that individual? Most of us, it's because it feels good in that moment, right? They laughed at my jokes. I'm going to be friends with you. But then as you begin to do life with them, you realize that they value things that if you continue to walk alongside them, it's going to corrupt you. Bad company corrupts good character. How do you know what to believe and what not to? How do you know what to participate in, what path to take? How do you know what to refuse and what to pursue? See, many of us, because we've relied on rules and directions to govern our lives, we are in confusion when there's no rules and directions. Somebody tell me what to do. Somebody tell me what I should do. Tell me how I should live my life. I want to tell you, I don't want to do that. <laughs> because if you if you take that path and it doesn't work out the way you want it, you're going to turn around and be blaming me when God wants you to take responsibility for your own life. So how do you know, though? How do you know what to do, what not to do? How do you know? I'm putting those questions out there today, church, because I want you to really think. As Christians, we need to love the Lord our God with our mind as well. Amen? So I'm okay right now if you're not like, ooh, that's good. Oh, man. Mm. But I want you to hear me and think. See, you must learn to intentionally develop and articulate your own personal core values and principles to live by, or you will find yourself living by someone else's. And then later on in life, getting bitter. Because you aligned yourself with something that maybe you didn't actually value. Or you had a friendship with someone and you were walking down a certain path with that person, but then you realize, I wasted all this time. You know, or you'll find yourself succumbing to temptation because you're fighting and resisting, but you don't have any core convictions to know what you're fighting for. 
See, God doesn't want you to become like a, a 40, 50 year old person who's doing things because your mom told you not to. He doesn't want you to become a person who's doing things later on in life because you felt like, oh, well, God told me not to. He wants to have a relationship with you. Now, he's king. He's king. And so there's some things sometimes he's going to be like, don't do that. But in general, he wants you to learn how to live a life of principles, to learn how to live and get to the why and have the value beneath it. So I'm going to give you a few things. There's this book that I, I read by Dr. Miles Monroe, the late Dr. Miles Monroe, from his book, The Power of Character and, and Leadership. And it's about values. And I'm going to give you some key properties of values. And I want you to write these things down. Number one, values are more important than rules. Values instruct us and principles instruct us in ways that rules cannot. Most people, especially Christians, try to live and fight temptation or live by abiding a set of rules and following a set of directions. But what happens when situations are in a gray area? What do you do when the rules do not necessarily apply? What do you do when the temptations aren't necessarily wrong? Matthew chapter 4, the temptation Satan's bringing... I mean, we understand it because we're reading it from 2,000 years later, like, oh, Satan. Mm. But if you hear it, just to a person listening, it, they wouldn't be like, oh, well, that's necessarily completely wrong. The heart of it, the root of it, the value at the end of it was unbelievably wrong. Values are more important than rules. Number two, values are personal, but they are never private. Values are personal convictions, but they represent the summation of your life pointed in a certain direction. You will sacrifice time, money, reputation, etc. for whatever it is that you value. And you got to know this, your values ultimately affect the way you treat other people. Now, these are my values. These are my values. No, your values affect others. Number three, values outlive goals. Goals are necessary to reach an objective, but they're temporary. When the goals are over, you just reach another goal. But values never change. Number four, this is really important for people in our generation. Values attract similar values. If you stop, you stop for a moment one day and you're looking around at your friends and you're like, I don't know why I'm friends with these people. <laughs> it's probably because you guys have some similar values and you got to figure out whether or not those are things you want to actually be associated with. And number five, values manifest in public life. These aren't all of them, but these are things to think about. Your values will always manifest in public life. Here, I'll give you a negative example for me personally. I grew up in the South. And in the South, where I grew up, we got like 36 hours in a day. You know, like seriously, like I walk everywhere I go and I walk slowly. Like, you know, when I came to Seoul, I was like, why is everyone in a rush? Like, what are you? The place will still be there, you know? Like, people run home. I'm like, home is always there. Like, you don't need to run to get home. I'm in a rush to get to my bed. He's like, well, you take a nap on the subway. What? Like, but when I came to Korea, and that value came from living in the South, living in a very small town, one stoplight. Like, that's where I grew up. So we never rushed to go anywhere. But when I came to Seoul and I came and I, I, I was under Pastor Christian. Pastor Christian is from New York and Philadelphia. He's from the Northeast. And they really value time. Like it's like 
I am on a rush to get everywhere I need to go. They walk fast. They talk fast. Like, everything's fast. And I was like, you know, I thought I'd just come in. I'm like, I'm going to come in with the peace of God, you know. And I'm going to change this, you know. And then I, and then all of a sudden, I just kept being late. And it's still something I'm working on. But I just late. And late. And I would come in as an intern pastor, and I'd be like 30 minutes late. And he's like, what? Yeah, see, some people gasp because they value time like that. Me, I came in like, let's get to work. What's going on? How's it going? I'm on time. He's like, no, you're not. And so he had me sit down, and I wrote like a chapter. He'd have me write a chapter of Ro- like the first chapter of Romans. He'd have me handwrite it. And then the next time I'm late, Romans chapter 2. And so I know Romans real well. <laughs> And so part of it was my character, okay? Punctuality, yeah. But part of it also were the values. Our values clashed. And his value won. (laughs) Right? And so you've got to understand that your values will manifest in your public life. They will manifest in the way you spend your money. They will manifest in what you watch. People say, well, I value the word of God, but do you ever spend any time in it? Right? So those are properties of values. I want to give you some steps to make your own core values. I'm going to give you some clear steps today because I love you and I want to help you out. And this too is from Dr. Miles Monroe. And some of it I've added a few different things. There's two types of values that you need to understand, first of all is that there are certain things called core values, and then there are aspirational values. Core values are are the core, right? I just used the word in the definition. Core. It, It means it signifies who you are. These are things that are unchanging. This defines, like, what you really value, your core values. But then there's also aspirational values, which means the where you're headed. And so you've got to understand that these two things mix together. All of your values can be aspirational. If you're saying, like, I want to be a person who values time, and I want to be a person who values money, and I want to be a a, a financial stewardship of money, and I want to, you know, be a person who values honesty, but right now all you do is lie, that's an aspirational value, okay? Like, that's not a core value. Like, let's just be honest, right? You know, if like, that's why for me, one of my core values is not always be on time. Because if I did that, I just recognize that it's really hard for me. And if I keep, if I say that's my core value every single time I'm late, I'm like, man, I keep working against my original design. I, not, it's an aspirational value. It's not necessarily a core value for me. One other thing I want to say about this is that you need to, well, I'll get to that later. Uh, the first thing, identify your values. Think through your purpose and identity. Who are you? Think through your convictions. What do you believe? And your vision for the future. Who are you to become? And one thing I want to say, do not develop these in isolation. But develop them in community. Your values should be something that you allow other people to speak into. Oh, well, but these are my values. These are my, but this isn't a postmodern kind of world. It's, that's not how we're living. That's not how Christians are called to live. You got to allow trusted spiritual authority trusted people in your life to help you work through these values. Number two, after you identify your values, you've got to believe in your values. 
Which means this isn't just a mental exercise. It's not just mental ascent. But you need to embrace those values, only those values that you are confident in and desire to live by. That means if you eat like a slob and you never work out, physical health and well-being should not be a core value. Like if you can, shouldn't be like, oh, my core value is always being super fit. If you never go to the gym, like that doesn't make any sense. Don't put a value out there that you're not willing to completely embrace. It's got to be things that you're confident in because in the moment of trial and temptation, you're going to respond in accordance to those values. Number three, receive your values. What does that mean? That means to review your values consistently. Think about them. Affirm them. Write them down. You have to write them down. And print, write them down, print them out, review them. You've got to review them consistently. And number four, live your values out. That means you've got to adhere to your values. They have to become your framework for living. Not only that, but then you need to measure everything according to those parameters. Whether you're and evaluate periodically whether you're living in alignment with these values. If not, then maybe they need to change. For example, for me, one of my values is to love the world. We love the word, not the world. Love, love the, the, I mean, I want to love people too, but love the word. And that comes from John six sixty three. The words I give to your spirit and life. That means that I value, obey, and love the word of God. That also means I make a commitment to read, study, meditate, and communicate effectively the word of God. Your values that you set, if you're going to live by them, they need to have practical application. So when you make them, you've got to have real practical, like how is this going to look on a day-to-day basis? And then number five Share your values. You've got to share them with other people. You've got to share them with those in community. They're personal, never private, right? So people around you will be able to trust you as you communicate those values and live by those values. And also it gives a clear metric for those closest to you to keep you accountable. See, it's a different message than I've given in the past. Because I'm trying to get real down to earth. Naturally, when I preach, I give you everything's up in the clouds. But if you want to live a principle-based life, you've got to get down to the nitty-gritty. What do you actually believe? Who are you actually? What really defines the kind of person you are? And if you want to grow in character, you've got to start taking some steps, even to articulate some aspirational ones as well. I'll share a few of my own personal ones before I close. Make myself vulnerable. I already shared one, to love the word. Uh, Number two is that all lives matter. I got that from Genesis 1, 27. I put all my values next to scripture that were made in the image of God. In his image and likeness, he created them. What does that mean to me? That all human life has dignity and worth. It should be upheld with purity and love. So part of that is that I treat people with purity. I respect and love people regardless of their race, background, or appearance. That also means that 
Of course, I won't commit murder. It also means for me, no abortion. No abusing of others, no manipulating others, no exploiting others. That means that because other people have dignity and worth to me, I'm not going to manipulate them. Because to do so would be to to go against who they are and to rob them of dignity. And also to not show partiality. That's a challenge. To make every effort to not show partiality. If they appearance, money, whatever, to treat people the same. A big one for me as well. I'm just sharing some of these to kind of help you out in terms of what maybe yours can be. Is humility comes before honor. That's from Proverbs 15.33. And so it encourages me to be faithful in the small things and trust God. To not seek after attention and admiration of men. To trust God to honor me. And to not be offended when man looks over me or doesn't recognize me. And then also a practical way that I do this is to recognize and faithfully steward my own gifts without and regardless of recognition. So even if even if no, I never get some platform to display my gifts, I'm always making a commitment to say I'm going to continue to steward my gifts because ultimately God will be the one to honor me. And then I, I wanted to share four of them that are mine. You shouldn't have 20, okay? You should have like five to seven. Keep it simple. The last one I want to share was to forgive first. That's a key value of mine. That's something that I realized... And if you want to articulate your core values, what you should do is think through what you're already doing first. And one of them for me is to always forgive and forgive people to make every effort not to hold grudges and to forgive others, even if they've not apologized or changed. And to seek out forgiveness in moments where I know I knowingly have wronged others. That's a value for me. And so when people sin against me, Regardless of whether or not they've apologized, I make an effort to forgive them first. And to hold unforgiveness, I realize, is operating in against the way that I am wired. So what are yours? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're just going to take a moment. And we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. Because, see, if you want to live a principle-based life, you've got to articulate your principles. You've got to identify them. You've got to embrace them. And you've got to live by them and adhere to them and then continue to go back to them. Jesus, we find in Matthew, throughout his entire life, Jesus wasn't just driven by do's and do nots. But Jesus' life was constantly driven by kingdom principles. And if you want to be a person who grows in integrity and character, you've got to begin this process.